Welcome to Terrible, a Canadian true crime podcast. I'm Marie. And I'm Renee. We're two friends that discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare ourselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and the families are not forgotten. Just before we get started, we want to mention that we do have a merch store. If you guys want to check it out and support the show, you can find us on Etsy at Terrible True Crime. And we also have Patreon, so if you want some extra bonus episodes, you can check us out there. And the last thing is that it really, really helps us when you rate the show or leave us a review or a comment wherever you listen. All right, let's get into some updates. So it's spooky season. <laughs> Your favorite. I'm so excited. We're officially in October, my favorite month of the year. It is the month that my birthday is in. It is the month of Halloween, the month of sweater weather. So I'm, I'm really excited about all of that. Uh, and we have some uh, beanies, some new beanies on our merch store. So if you want to check it out, get yourself a, a hoodie and a beanie. And they're really cute. I'm about yeah. to get mine and I'm super excited. Speaking of spooky season, I was so excited to go to my favorite store, HomeSense, and get some <laughs> cute little decor. Well... It's full of Christmas stuff right now. Yeah. Like the cutoff time to shop was like mm -hmm. August, September for spooky season. Yep. And now it's. <gasps> and they had oh. so much stuff. Like every time I would go there, I'd be like, oh my God, I like Renee would love this because and this and this because it was so like fun and spooky. But um, a lot, a lot of Christmas stuff now already. So I kind of oh, missed Christmas. my window. <laughs> I know. And now I'm like, okay, do I shop for Christmas stuff now? Or are they going to get rid of it? Like, I in feel a like month? Christmas lasts so much longer than Halloween, but that's not fair. I feel like the Halloween stuff yeah. should be. Well, yeah, because it's not longer. even just like Halloween and fall and yeah. Thanksgiving and exactly. Yeah. Oh, that anyway, so that made me really disappointed. <laughs> and there's also an update in the uh, Canadian tire stabbing that I found. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, and yeah. before we do this, I forgot to write this in our outline, but Canadian tire money. It uh -oh. was not change. Dang. <laughs> it was not change. I was so convinced. It was a percentage of like Canadian tire money that you would get based on your purchase. It was so you extra on top, uh -huh. like a coupon. I wonder my dad would just give it to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's more I thought of, and then I, no, I, I, let me just look. Also, TikTok is listening because I kept getting Canadian Tower money TikToks. It was very weird. Oh, well, that's <laughs> creepy. Yeah, but anyway, so then I finally looked it up because it was harassing me on TikTok. Wow. And yeah, so once again, you fooled me with your confidence because yeah, I definitely, I, like, I no just gaslighted you. Yeah, but I literally no thought it was true. Wow. And then I was like, well, she must be right. She's so sure of Yeah, herself. I was very sure. And I'm not like that usually. I'm always like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, sure, you're right. Because I don't know many things, but I was like so sure of myself. Okay, wow, great. That kind of ruined my life. Sorry. <laughs> I think I brought that up because I can't have more people thinking we have no idea how Canadian tire money works. It's like, what, what's let's that, end that saga. What's that thing called where your whole childhood you've seen something as it is and then you see it, the logo or a picture of something and it's like oh, different the effect? Yeah, Mandela I, I effect? Yes. Is yeah, that? exactly. Yeah. That's literally like that to me. Like that really hurts. It's like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay let's so talk about yes it. so know. update with the stabbing there's not much to it um other than that they were married the suspect and the victim so the victim passed oh, the suspect no. is being charged <gasps> yeah they've been oh. married for or they were married for three years she was 22 and he's 26 that is not what i expected at yeah. all i thought it was gonna be one of these random attacks mm -hmm. 
no more info than that oh, though man. that's it that's all i could find at least for now oh that is so scary yeah horrible and she's so young to be married for three years already i need to know what led up to this happening in a, like in a public space yeah exactly right yeah keep us updated if you hear more all right on my end for crime updates there is some recent news in the case of the murder of jasmine lovett and her young daughter Aaliyah sanderson for those of you who don't know about this case, Jasmine and Aaliyah were reported missing in 2019. About a month later, their bodies were found buried in a shallow grave in the Kananaskis region. Robert Leeming was charged with second-degree murder for the deaths of Jasmine and Aaliyah. He was Jasmine's boyfriend and Aaliyah's father. So Aaliyah was only 22 months old. So a sentencing hearing is currently going on. This is a case that I've sort of been following and want to cover in more details in the future. But he's he's now 37 and he pleaded guilty to second degree murder of Jasmine, but not guilty in the death of his daughter Aaliyah. However, he was convicted of second degree murder in his daughter's death. So family members detailed fear and anxiety and pain in their court submissions. He will serve an automatic life sentence of second-degree murder for both convictions. Crown prosecutor Doug Taylor said that he should serve from 15 to 20 years for Jasmine's murder and then also closer to the maximum, which is 25 years for the murder of Aaliyah. So yeah, we'll hold out to see sort of what his sentencing is. I mean, he definitely deserves all the time he can get. These were horrible, horrible, brutal murders. Uh, it always blows my mind when it's a family member. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming there's a history of abuse there. I don't know. There isn't always, but I definitely will be watching this case to see what comes out. And uh, it just, it feels really close to home because it's in the Calgary area and the Kananaskis region is so it's in the foothills near the mountains. And it just, for me, it has such a beautiful right yeah like, like idea yeah of, and for something so horrible to have happened there and i just hate the term shallow grave also it's like he like didn't mm -hmm. put any work into it yeah. i don't know if that makes any sense but it just feels like it's just sort of like lazy careless like yeah like uh, whatever dump. yeah it's very um chris watts but i'm really looking forward to getting into this week's case so this week we're talking about priscilla merle this is an oldie we haven't done one of these in a while mm -hmm. um but in 1972 priscilla is a 21 year old living in london ontario she had been separated from her husband for more than one year and at the time had a three-month-old son it's also reported that she might have had more than one child maybe another son it's, it's kind of unclear on the night of Saturday, March 4th, Priscilla had been out in what is described as a punk rock bar. The bar was in the old Clarendon Hotel near the corner of London's King and Talbot Street. Priscilla loved to party and it's reported she's having a really good time that night. <laughs> I love relate. when mom's parties. Yeah, it's like and she's mom's young. night out. Yeah, she's exactly, 21 right? yeah. and has been separated for a year already and has maybe one or, or more children. Like, she she's going through it and she needs to let loose so mm -hmm. go for it but it's reported she's seen as what is described as intoxicated i don't know this kind of means different things to different people i think yeah. if you don't really know someone you don't really know what their what their level is at mm -hmm. so anyway let's just go with she's having drinks she's having a good time that night once things sort of die down at the bar priscilla wants to keep partying 
She goes back to her sister's house on Hill Street, where I think she had been staying, and she makes plans to go to a bush party outside the nearby community of Exeter. Before she leaves, it's reported she gets on the phone. It's unclear who she's speaking with, but it wasn't a really positive conversation. Her niece, Trinity, is interviewed in a Star article, and she said the following about that phone call. There was an altercation. She was yelling into the phone. Trinity wasn't born at the time, but she grew up hearing stories from relatives and in the media. At this point in her night, Priscilla moves on. It's reported that she catches a ride with, at first I read, an unknown person, and then I read maybe her boyfriend's brother in a wood panel station wagon. So again, this is an old case, there's mixed reporting, we'll kind of go through it all. Priscilla never made it to the bush party that night. She was also never reported missing to the police. Her family thought that she would be back in a few days, but it would be more than three weeks before Priscilla's family would get any news about her. It's kind of sad when you could go three weeks without any red flags going up yeah. from yeah. anyone. I'm kind of wondering about her her kind of her state around that time, if she had just gone through this divorce and was yeah. kind of going through maybe a bit more of a rebellious phase. 21 is so young. And if they were just like, oh, that's Priscilla lately. She's just been like right. that. You know, she's done this a couple times before. I, I don't really know. It could be the total opposite that her family was just like, but she is very responsible, but yeah. she sometimes she goes three weeks without contacting us. Right. Or they could have assumed that she went back to her ex. I don't know. I don't know. It could be a lot of things, but it is a sad thought. So I'm going to put out kind of a blanket trigger warning here. Um, on March 26, it's reported that either a muskrat trapper or two men on a canoe found a human arm in Kettle Creek. This caused a search to begin. At the same time, the arm was sent to the Center of Forensic Science in Toronto, and a fingerprint test was done. The results came back as a match for Priscilla. Searchers later found a burlap bag with what is described as flesh, hair, and a woman's shoe. Oh my god. Yeah, it gets worse. This was again found on the edge of the Kettle Creek area. On April 13th, a couple that is taking their boat out again on Kettle Creek, about four miles from where the arm was found, find what is described as an upper torso floating in the water. Mm. No, we got more. Okay. On May 11th, another boater found the lower half of Priscilla's torso half a mile further away. This caused the OPP to send an official team of divers to search the water, but nothing additional was found. This is like some next level stuff you'd hear on or watch on Criminal Minds or some sort yes. of TV show, not something you'd ever think would be reality of finding different body parts like that. That's just... Yes. Um, yeah. And London at the time is smaller than it is now, obviously. It's, you know, it's, it's a tight-knit community from how it's described. And to find something... Some things like this is obviously very upsetting and for poor Priscilla's family mm -hmm. to kind of get this news in as it's coming in and for them not to have been alarmed at first. Yeah. Uh, when investigators look into the case, they confirm that no one at the Bush party remembers seeing Priscilla. The case shared jurisdictions between the London police and OPP. I'm not sure if this was based on where Priscilla was said to have traveled that night or based on where parts of her body were found. I'm sorry, there's no easier way mm -hmm. to say that. Due to the condition of Priscilla's body, the cause of death was not clear. What investigators could tell was that the killer had tried to make cuts with some kind of hand tools and then seemed to have decided to move on to a power tool. It's theorized that the body was most likely dumped off the local Port Stanley Bridge. This meant to investigators that the killer must have had a car. They also figured he must have had some kind of private space where he could dismember a body. It's not everyone that has yeah. a space like that that could do something like this without anybody else noticing. 
I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer now with the whole. You, yes, very you know. true. Yeah. Have you been watching that? I watched, I think, like half of it. And okay. then we yeah. can talk about it in next week's updates. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't started yet. No. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I'm like, obviously, you would have had to have a super quiet place. The Jeffrey Dahmer is like <laughs> straight up in an apartment building. In an apartment like... building, tearing apart people yeah. and, and eating them. So, just, you know, yeah, yeah you're level. right. But this is what they're assuming at the time, mm-hmm. which would make sense. Uh, Yes. yes, and they're also assuming that he has access to these types of power tools, obviously. The police do about 200 interviews. It seems like they kind of zone in on one person, and this is Priscilla's sister's boyfriend's brother. So Priscilla's sister, who she's living with, boyfriend's brother. Trinity told the star that she heard he was in love with Priscilla. He had also recently quit working as a local taxi driver in May of 1972 after Priscilla's body was found. He wouldn't talk to detectives, but they let him know that he was definitely one of their suspects. Eventually, police used a search warrant to seize his 1961 Pontiac station wagon. When they searched his car, they found traces of human blood diluted with cleaning chemicals. They also searched his garage and uncovered a blue box containing a hacksaw with the blade inexplicably removed. This suspect never admitted to being involved in Priscilla's murder. He was quoted as saying the following. Well, what if a person had picked up a person? It didn't mean he did anything else. He could have dropped her anywhere in town or in the country. So I'm innocent. Priscilla's case has never been solved. Every year after her murder, detectives questioned the suspect again on the anniversary of her death. Investigators never had enough evidence to lay charges that would stick. To me, it does not seem like a crime that someone would only do once, considering how brutal Um, it was. Yeah. Yeah, if you're comfortable doing something like that, it's because there's something bonkers going on somewhere. Yeah, it feels sort of like an escalation or uh, maybe someone who's killed before and is just kind of like trying something new. I don't know. Maybe it's a one-off, but it feels very strange to me. Trinity shared that she heard that the suspect in her aunt's murder moved to the U.S. where he died. She said that his brother is also dead now. Trinity told the star that her family never got closure, and she said the following. Somebody must know something. Do I always wonder about her? 100%. Trinity said the time of this star article that her father's health was not great, and that he never speaks of the sudden loss of his sister. Priscilla's case is described by OPP Chief Inspector James McBride as the most brutal of any murder cases he's ever worked on. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I don't even know how to explain the feeling that she's out one night, she's having a good time, mm-hmm. and then three weeks later, her family is hearing the news that they're finding parts mm-hmm. of her floating in a body of water yeah. near where they live. It just... Yeah, I don't understand how how a family could cope with that and, you know, handle that kind of trauma. That's And I'm sure even like professionals in the, you know, mental health profession don't even know how to, I mean, how can you help someone who's going through that? Like, and investigators too, who are probably getting to know her, getting to know about her as they're investigating. And then, you know, you feel connected to the case and the horrible way that, you know, she was murdered. Those who found um, her body parts. Like that just affected so many people. Yeah. And it just, either it's being careless that he just dumped her in the body. I'm saying he, because I'm assuming it's a he, but the murderer dumps body parts in a body of water and assumes that they're going to well, yeah, like- sink. During my research for this case, I stumbled upon a CBC article titled, London, Ontario was the world's serial killer capital. This obviously prompted me to do a lot more research, mm-hmm. especially based on the discussion that we just had, that we don't feel like Priscilla's case could have been a one-off. 
Yeah. I'm going to read to you guys some of the content from that article. During a 25-year period, there were 32 homicides, with all victims being women and children. From 1959 to 1984, according to Michael Artfield, a criminology professor at the University of Western Ontario, with only a population of roughly 200,000 people at the time, the city may have had as many as six serial killers more per capita than everywhere else on the planet. Artfeld, who also served as a London police officer for 15 years, analyzed the 32 homicides in his book, all victims being women and children over a 15 year period. Some of those cases were solved, but most remain unsolved. But most of the remaining homicides were likely the work of serial killers. Monsters such as the Mad Slasher, the Chambermaid Slayer, the Balcony Killer, are all suspected of having roamed the city's streets. Some of the murderers were never captured. Earnfield says he suspects they escaped to Toronto, where they continue to harm the innocent. Uh. Obviously, my brain was like, wait a minute. I've never heard of any of this. Also, who makes these serial killer names? Yeah, it's trash. The media, usually. It's so, I don't like, like that. Read. No, it's it's a very like gross thing that the media does. It kind of, I don't know. It, I think it, it has It makes like, them like a character that's like, Yes. Not real. I don't know. It's just strange to me. Yeah, I'm sure that you could find pros and cons of that isn't like it attracts more people's attention. So more people are reading about it, but also it's kind of a weird way to glorify them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, to just like cause more panic. I feel like like if you're mm. telling me the mad slayer is loose or sorry, the mad slasher is loose in my town, I'm scared. There's a balcony killer and you live in an yeah. apartment building with a balcony no, on you. the like yeah. second floor or something, easy to jump oh, on to. Yeah. Absolutely not. So this kind of sent me into another tailspin of research and I wanted to figure out, you know, who were all these other victims and who were these serial killers that are being named here? And this especially stood out to me since Trinity mentioned in the Star article that while she was growing up, she also heard a lot about 17-year-old Donna Jean Alcock, who was murdered in London in 1983. She was related to her by marriage. And this is why I'm going to go ahead and tell you about Donna Jean Alcock. This case takes place in 1983, as I mentioned, and it was about 11 years after Priscilla's murder. Donna was described as a quiet, shy girl who loved children. She was a green eyed teen with dirty blonde hair, and she lived with her family in an apartment on then Cheyenne Avenue in Northeast London. On the night of October 12th, Donna is 17 years old and she is babysitting for a neighbor at an apartment building next to where she lived. It's reported that the woman she's babysitting for got a ride home from the bar and then she bought pizza for her and Donna to share. Nice. I know. It seems like a cool lady. Like, you yeah. know, you're watching her kid. She's out, goes to the bar, comes yeah. back. She's you shares know, her drink, pizza. Shares her drunk pizza. Bar. Yeah. Dang, that's a good lady. Exactly. And I, I mean, I was a babysitter around this age too. Kind of feel like I'm feeling this. Like, this is reminding <laughs> me of me. So the two eat pizza, and then the woman asks Donna to go to the local store and buy some cigarettes. Donna agrees, and it's unclear if this was around 2 30 a.m. or 4 a.m. It's reported two different ways. I'm thinking it makes more sense that it's 2 30, but mm. it's kind of unclear. Unfortunately, Donna never returned. I guess a lady who hired her assumed that she had just gone home. But when she didn't show up at home the next morning, Donna's family contacted the police. It's reported the family told the police that she may have run away, but it wasn't like her. Which, if if you're contacting the police for your child, do not tell them that it may be a runaway situation. Because I feel like they're more likely to take it less seriously. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is just one, again, 
these old cases, you know, newspapers.com is my best friend, but I'm getting all the information that I can. So I, I'm not 100% sure if they might have said this, but they might have said, you know, maybe she's just off with a friend. And now yeah. it's reported as she may have been a runaway, but that's not really what they meant. But an investigation began, and as they traced her steps back, they talked to a store clerk. The store clerk said that they had seen Donna crying and appearing terrified. And my following question to myself was, okay, and you did what? <laughs> so true but apparently nothing especially it was not his business especially at that time of night yeah like are you okay do you need help i don't know yeah but this is the only person to have reported seeing donna and the only person i've seen her in this state hours after she was reported missing two boys find donna's body along a riverbank that quick damn yes it was later to be determined that she had been raped and murdered her cause of death was manual strangulation donna's case has never been solved It's often looked at by cold case projects, and it's reported that her father never recovered from her murder, obviously. Her mother also refused to talk about the case. Donna's sister, Tammy, said the following. My sister was raped and killed. That has changed everything about my family. He killed us, too. I still have trust issues. I don't know who did this to her. It could be my neighbor. To this day, I don't go out in the dark. 33 years after her murder, Donna's purse was returned to Tammy. Tammy said that her sister didn't have her purse on the night she was murdered, but the police took it anyway. She continued by saying, Oh my god, the fight was just unbelievable. I could see them, you know, wanting to go through her purse, you know, for whatever in there, to give them any clues, but to hold on to it all these years for evidence? For what? Inside the purse, there was handwritten notes, a small corsage, and 20 pictures of the teen with friends and family. Tammy wishes that she would have had those pictures of her sister for all these years. To this day, the case remains open. The province continues to offer a $50,000 cash reward for any information in connection to Donna's death, in addition to a cash reward of up to $2,000 from police. Anyone with information relating to the murder of this case is asked to contact the OPP at 1-888-310-1122 or at Crimestoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Here are just some of the other unsolved murders in the London region around this time. In 1956, five-year-old Susan Kedzier. In 1963, Margaret Sheeler, who's 20 years old. In 1968, Jacqueline Dunleavy, 16 years old. In 1968, Frankie Jensen, nine years old. In 1968, Helga Beer, 31 years old. In 1970, Soraya O'Connell, 15 years old. In 1968, Linda White, 19 years old. In 1969, Jacqueline English, 15 years old. In 1969, Patricia Bovin, 22 years old. In 1977, Ivan Wheeler, 27 years old. And in 1996, Sam Lottery, 17 years old. Next level bonkers. I know. And this is why I've been sick for the past two days. <laughs> Hopefully you guys can't tell on the microphone. Uh, but I, between my sick naps, this is what I've been doing. I am going to try by next week to at least listen to one audiobook about these cases in London around this time. And I can't help myself. Next week, we're going to cover two more of these cases. I think we're going to make this a series sort of similar to our Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls series that we cover kind of here and there. They seem to have pointed to one or a couple of people that could have been doing this, but I'm not really able to find any names. Uh, so if you guys know any information, you can send it over to me. I know that if someone hasn't been kind of convicted, then we don't want to name them. But 
If people have been convicted of crimes in the area that are sort of similar to this, I want to know. The number, the amount of people is just too hard to ignore. It's something I'm very interested in, so I'll do a lot more research. If you guys know any more information, feel free to send it over to us. It may be if it would have happened around this time, around the time that we're living now, that they could have been solved. So, yeah. yeah and this is why. This week, we'll be donating to the London Search and Rescue Team. They are a team of trained professional volunteers that assist all police forces within 150 kilometers of London, Ontario, in the search for missing persons. They are the only volunteer ground search and rescue team in the area and are 100% volunteer run. Wow. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, amazing sort of hard to, I was trying to figure out if we could donate to like a cold case team or something that mm-hmm. people would work on this, but that doesn't necessarily exist. So I figured this would be kind of a good way that if, you know, these are people that are working obviously very hard for and volunteering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I figured this would be a good cause for this week. So if you'd like to contribute to the London search and rescue team, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram. So please please follow us at terrible true crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials, or you can email us at terrible true crime at gmail.com. As always, the link to our sources will be in the description below. So please feel free to check them out. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.